Welcome to the 10th episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. I'm Kim Lane. And we are recording this in a nice little nook in a hotel room in Portland. We're sort of following in the footsteps of other great podcasters like Sarah Koenig and Rose Eveleth, not quite in the hotel closet, but perched just outside, fingers crossed, that the leaf blower on the street and the maids in the hallways will not vacuum or turn on their machines for the next 29 and a half minutes. You just summon them, they'll do it now. <laughs> so, uh, what's up? Um, we're taking a little break. Um, the kid went to a festival this weekend, so we're chilling in Portland and catching up. I'm catching up on stories, writing stories of the trail and editing some videos and then preparing for a 40 mile hike this, this week, um, which will be, I think both, uh, a physical hike, but also, um, kind of push my storytelling capabilities cause, um, there's like probably 30, 40 different destinations along this hike to either videotape, capture, tell stories of historical. So I'm kind of preparing my thoughts on how I can do a better job so I'm not playing catch up on the weekends so much. <laughs> so this past week, um, you have not been, the two of you have not been hiking so much since we sort of made the journey from Southern Oregon over to, I guess, Northern, mid, east, mid? Northeast Oregon. Northeast Oregon. Um, so, so really Southwest Oregon to Northeast Oregon. Yeah, which when you look at the map, doesn't seem that far, but somehow it took us, seemed to take us all week. Well, we stopped and did a lot of hikes. <laughs> Tuesday we, we did, we did like eight miles. So, that's true. I mean, it's not. That's true. And we did, I think, three or four the other day. That you, you didn't go on the hike, but we did it. I think it was two and a half miles or something, round trip. Yeah. So we're hiking. We're just not doing the the full day ones that I've had planned. Yeah. But there are, as you said, there are tons of photos and now increasingly stories on the drone recovery website. So that's good. Again, the one of the side effects, I think, of not of not hiking is that I seem to have been paying a little bit more attention to what happened in the tech world and maybe because we've been together this week as opposed to sort of sending you off into the wilderness you've got a better sense of what was up as well so we can actually talk about um, tech news and politics this week in lieu of just mumbling about drone <clears throat> politics or just the shitty world we live in, the world being so overwhelmingly shitty that that's, a, that's all we talk about. Well, yeah, we could still talk about that. But let's talk about other fun and exciting revolutionary things. Where should we start? We've, I, we've, I've pulled together a couple of stories that I want us to talk about. You choose. Um, well, how about we talk about the end of Think Up? Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, I guess for me, that's a pretty fundamental uh, API story. Um, what is ThinkUp? Yeah, I was saying, we, maybe we should. Um, this is a product created by, I think, two of the nicest people working in tech, Anil Dash and Gina Trapani, who created a tool that allowed users to 
have their own analytics of their Twitter and or Facebook um, accounts. I was a subscriber, I think it was $5 a month to have my Twitter analytics and I really liked it. I got a daily email that pulled out some, I thought, interesting analytics were, that were different from sort of the quote unquote how many people followed you or how many, how much engagement did you get. You could, you know, you could really see and they would update you when people you follow change their profiles. It would remind you of people that you hadn't communicated with in a while. Um, it was, and it was, for me, it was worth spending $5 to support the work of, of two people that I really admire um, in, a, in, a, in this product, considering that um, I don't find the analytics that Twitter or Facebook offer to be particularly useful because I'm not interested in that sort of social media engagement click stuff. I care about the people that I'm interacting with, not about the clicks. But um, Anil wrote a blog post this week announcing that they were closing down the product, um, as you said, uh, because of, I mean, largely because of struggles that they faced with the ever-changing Twitter and Facebook APIs, and really the, the, the clair increasing clarity that despite all of the trumpeting about platforms, Right. A couple of years ago, everything wanted to be a platform and get developers to build on their platform. These companies have made it really clear that they're not interested in third-party developers working on their platform. I, I, I would say that's not entirely true. They're, they're very interested early on. New companies who get um, either looking for investment, looking for growth, looking for numbers, are very interested in being a platform and getting people to uh, build stuff, bring users, empower users, do all the the, the promise of API-driven platforms. Um, the problem is, is once they grow to a certain point, that all changes. And uh, people early on, or not early on, after the whole Twitter flare-up, you know, they, they called it, they equated this to, you know, sharecropping is you know you come get people to work on your farm and they build and tend and do things but then at a certain point you you evict them and you make things very hard twitter's you know done very well at this and i think think of for me really shows the imbalance um that is api i saw I, i've seen this play out over the last five six years of api evangelists but the, the i saw last year a lot of it really coming to a head and the imbalance between the three actors here, you know, when you think of think up, you have the platforms, you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, and then you have the developer, which is the second leg of this. And I use OAuth as an analogy for this because OAuth has a three-legged OAuth, the platform, the developer, and end user. And this really think up, I think, is just shows not that this three-legged balance, this relationship can't work, it's it doesn't work when it's out of balance and out of whack when either the the platform is too heavy-handed with um with users resources and or when developers are too exploitative and um you know and a lot of these platforms that think up's talking about um or neil's referencing in his post are you know tightening up the controls because of badly behaved developers 
but those of us in the API space know you can certify your good developers and you can restrict and limit your, your poorly behaved one. So there's no reason why ThinkUp can't get some sort of preferred access um, to these platforms because they're providing a valuable service. But it's not, in, you know, it's not in, you know, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Facebook, they don't give a shit. You know, they've got what they wanted. They're moving forward. If they're going to build something, they're going to build it. Um, they're going to acquire it. They're going to um, just do it. They're not really interested in serving the users. So, you know, I've seen a lot of people on my Facebook and on my Twitter say, well, this just proves that this type of thing isn't a viable business model. Um, no, it doesn't prove shit. It just shows that, um, you know, platforms with all the resources get, get to rule and they get to dictate what's going on. And when we don't have a, a that three-legged balance, Shit, this, this API shit doesn't work, and I've seen more often than not it 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 works early on, and it just stops working when the platform stop giving a shit, and um and unfortunately you know it's us end users that are going to suffer the most. Well, I mean, one of the things that I really liked about ThinkUp, and I I mean I I know personally I share a great deal of like there's a great deal of overlap in my philosophy of what tech should. Be and what tech can be with Anil's in particular and um, the, you know sort of the taking back this control from these major corporations and putting it into the hands of the users I mean this is our data I mean the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter they're run on our data and it's incredibly frustrating that we can't get our data out and that we can't you know, again, OAuth with trusted, um, trusted third-party providers like ThinkUp to be able to offer us interesting um, insights. Instead, our data is seen as a commodity, know, a commodity to in order to be um, bought and sold and manipulated and utilized by these major corporations, who increasingly give us less and less access. I mean the you know the use of the you know why couldn't Anil why couldn't Anil and Gina be a trusted partner? I mean of course these companies do have certain trusted partners, right? They're not going to turn off Facebook isn't going to turn off the the access that it's made with Microsoft because Microsoft is an investor in in Facebook or was an early investor in Facebook, and so there are there are people that get the special the special access to to, to these things, and there are companies that have the ability to sort of throw more engineering resources and simply think up was, you know, I mean, I, I'm guessing that Gina was the, <laughs> Gina was the development. And so, she, you know, with these APIs constantly changing, they just couldn't, they couldn't, they, they couldn't just two people run this platform. And it's a, to me, it's, uh, it's sad. Um, but, you know, in other Microsoft news, <laughs> speaking yeah. of data, Speaking of a company that is really not good about its API, it's not good about its, its data portability, um, Microsoft made the most expensive acquisition in its history this week, spending 26, 26, was it 26 billion dollars to purchase LinkedIn. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a more suitable uh, acquirer for LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn's already, from me, from my standpoint, vantage point, 
um, uh, a very piss poor API, very uh, just a, just a, an API platform that does not um, respect its developers. The problem is in these APIs is they they're exploiting users' data, so they open up an API, which is a honeypot for some really poorly behaved developers. And when you're talking about HR and, and recruiting and, and this kind of stuff, you're gonna just attract some really bad people. And so LinkedIn's continually shut down, closed off, tightened down their APIs. And, um, and you know, for me, there's a lot of value in using LinkedIn because it, it, it um, as a platform, because it reaches enterprise users that, that seem to be in, important in my world, I guess, or had been. But beyond that, um, they're just, they remind me, they reek of Microsoft Office and this really walled garden way of doing software development and business. And um, I think it's a match made in heaven. Well, I, from my side of things, it's a little bit, it's a pretty interesting acquisition because of course, LinkedIn last year made one of the largest acquisitions in EdTech history, spending a billion dollars more even to buy lynda.com. And so many people sort of have seen, have, have claimed that LinkedIn is some sort of EdTech company of the future, not only with the sort of, quote, skills training that it offers through lynda.com, but because of this sort of on-demand career training, educational opportunities that um, it seems to have wanted to pursue. Um, it announced, I think earlier this year, this notion of learning paths, which were utterly stupid, but, um, but that doesn't stop the tech press from writing them up like they're the most intelligent thing ever. And in which it would suggest to you um, certain steps, certain courses, certain um, steps to take in order to sort of move forward on your career path. I mean, it was really ridiculous. People like to praise LinkedIn for having this incredibly intelligent data science crew, and at one point perhaps it did, um, but it, you know, it, it made these suggestions as though it would take you 30 hours to become um, an expert in, a, to be an expert songwriter. But and it would take you actually 37 hours to become an expert at SharePoint. But these are perfect for selling to well, an I audience mean, that is, really is uninformed. So this is an interesting point. So some of the most popular courses, courses that um, lynda.com offers are, of course, around these major proprietary software bundles that people, that certain jobs expect people to be experts in, right? So the Excel classes in Excel, classes in Office or Word, classes in SharePoint, classes in the Adobe suite of products are always really popular. Um, and they're popular for a couple of reasons. It's, it's sort of the, a chicken and egg problem. I mean, many companies do provide lynda.com training for their employees and so if you're taking if your company is paying for you to do training they're more likely to require you to do a training class in excel than to say you can take any class you want of course you can learn um, german right so certain kinds of office skill classes are definitely going to be the ones that are most popular just because of the people who are paying paying the bill 
Um, so I, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's, it will be interesting to watch what happens with Microsoft in the learning space. Of course, Microsoft has already, has long time been in the certification business. It's offered, it's offered certification, these sort of alt credentials for people that paid the big bucks to get a special Microsoft certificate. So it'll be interesting to see what the future of Microsoft plus Lynda.com looks like. And if it looks like the, the piece to watch is, is this enterprise sales as what you are indicating, right? With the enterprise being interested, or is this, is this going to start being focused more at the individual level? So is it not going to be so much that employers feel responsible for professional development for their employees, but is that burden going to be shifted to the individual, and is the individual going to become responsible for their pursuing these things themselves? And so, and it's really, I mean, LinkedIn gives off so many signals in LinkedIn. I know people for business intelligence purposes are always scouring LinkedIn to see, you know, if 14 people in the art department at a major company suddenly change their job profiles, something is up. So people give off a lot of signals um, in LinkedIn. And I just think it'll be, you know, this sort of data surveillance around our professional, uh, professional work is something that I'm not particularly, I'm not particularly excited to see Microsoft entering this space. Because um, I don't see Microsoft as being anything other than this sort of behemoth that wants you to buy a behemoth technology that in many ways has not been networked. I mean, this is this other piece of it too. People, when you work in Microsoft Word, you're working alone. It's a very different tool than Google Docs, which are sort of push the whole collaborative thing. So what does it mean to have an integration with a data-heavy company like LinkedIn? for the kinds of personal autonomy that you that you may want to have for better for worse when you're working on a on a letter do you want clippy to say it looks like you're updating your resume would you like me to update your linkedin profile would you like me to send the resume to the seven people who have you know like there's there are lots of things in which i'm not sure people necessarily want their world integrated with the surveillance, data collection and surveillance and algorithms that a lot of tech folks seem to be or the, seem to think are the future. Speaking of Microsoft and, and keeping tabs on, on people and certifying, um, they're getting into another business that actually might bridge to this whole job thing very well, I think. Um, they are interested in the, the legal marijuana trade and providing the software and parts and pieces for that world as well and keeping track of from uh, seed to bud you know the manufacturers the distributors the um, they say they're gonna you know track um, medical marijuana patients and their needs and so um, you know I guess every medical marijuana patient now can will be able to get a nice spreadsheet breakdown of, of their consumption I don't know maybe some, some some nice charts maybe it can you know refer them to some some educational opera you know Linda opportunity it's nice <laughs> to know that the very first company according to the Edward Snowden PowerPoint 
that were leaked, or the PowerPoints that were leaked by Edward Snowden. The very first company to sign up for PRISM, or the very first company to get on board with the NSA and to give people backdoors is now the company that's like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to help you with marijuana. You know, if you're running a marijuana business and you are using the... <laughs> I just don't even know what to say. It's opportunity. is, is pretty No, I know it's smell, opportunity, but smell. why would you... I just they smell opportunity. I mean, I I have to actually admit I was reviewing the um, reg regulations.gov API platform. I was profiling it and breaking it down at the request of the White House and mapping out what is regu what is regulations for all industries and how an API can be better used. And during that work in 2013, I wrote a uh, uh, a shadow version of that same document for the at the time the the brand new medical marijuana thing and it's a huge fucking opportunity when you look at the amount of cash flowing around if you could be that first corporate entity that 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 validates this and then gets the wells fargos and the capital ones and your other partners to step up and actually start taking the money from these people and you're the software system that that all occurs, that relationship happens, that's fucking huge. I'm just saying that if you are in the marijuana business, you should probably not use the most insecure, willing Loaded. to give your name to the feds software company. Maybe, maybe think twice about the company that didn't even have to be asked that was like, hell yeah, mm. put back doors in Skype. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you can you yeah, no, that like don't use don't use Microsoft. Well it's all I mean it's all gonna be big business from now. And, you know, I don't think that there's gonna be many ethical people in left in it after about five years here that are ha gonna have to make these decisions. I mean it's it's big co marijuana's gonna be big co within within five years here. So it's perfect for Microsoft. But when it comes to you know that money flow and and you know what is a value what's what where's the opportunity let's let's talk let's move to your right. favorite topic right so maybe if one wanted to build something outside of the legal world outside of government surveillance wanted to turn to software that was fully libertarian in. Um, Maybe one would use the blockchain. Yes. And maybe you were talking about regulation. Maybe, maybe, maybe you would the have smart. Blockchain. You would have smart contracts. Yes. Yes. And maybe you could use a um, Ethereum. You could use a decentralized uh, autonomous organization, a DAO, built on Ethereum. What is a DAO? Explain. What is? Oh gosh. Okay. So. Ethereum is a digital, is a cryptocurrency built on the blockchain technology. It's similar to Bitcoin. Um, instead of Bitcoin being mined, it, the Ethereum, Ethereum mines, the, the cryptocurrency is called Ether. Um, but Ethereum has designs to be more than just a cryptocurrency. They want to be a, uh, they want to be sort of blockchain as a service and allow people to build blockchain related products on top of their platform, 
which again has this mining component. One of the things that the blockchain proponents argue is that by utilizing the blockchain, we'll be able to sort of move around traditional institutions, banks, legal systems, governments, regulatory. schools, regulatory, and build these organizations that are that in which the the rules are code rather than the rules are law or rules are regulation or rules are um, bylaws or any kind of um, other um, other codification set of guidelines. So um, one of the projects, um, the this decentralized autonomous organization um, had done a massive crowdfunding, one of the largest crowdfunding um, projects run on Kickstarter. It raised a bunch of money to sort of explore this project. And this past week, someone started exploiting a flaw, and I'm using those words really carefully, exploiting or exploiting, not even a flaw, exploiting the design of Ethereum in order to take some $80 million out of this investment fund. Yeah, it's interesting the, the language used, because I think, I mean, I think this is representative of like Silicon Valley and tech widely. But here's some of the, the what's in question because they're they're you know they're saying i didn't steal it i didn't hack it that the the system enabled all right that's why i said design yes and here's some of the language from this story um it'll be i'll do make sure it's in the show notes but however according to diao's own legal contract there is no such thing as theft and the intent is completely unimportant the only important and relevant thing are the smart contracts themselves Consequently, there is no real legal difference between a feature and an exploit. It is all a matter of perspective. Continuing another section, I just pulled out three cherry-picked, three that I think are really relevant. Any and all explanatory terms or descriptions are merely offered for educational purposes and do not supersede or modify the expressed terms of the DAO's code set forth on the blockchain. And while cryptocurrency, blockchain, smart contract fundamentalists have a tendency to think that they can place themselves outside of the national legal system just by saying that things happen, quote, on the blockchain, unquote, the national legal system have a tendency to disagree. That I mean, this is the, the the core of what I've been spouting with API Evangelist for six years is I have this Venn diagram that I always reference called technology, business, and politics. And somewhere in the middle, if, if you balance these areas, APIs do, can do some really amazing things. The problem is, is people have too much faith in the technology and they get blindsided by business, AKA regulatory. They get blindsided by terms of service, AKA politics. Um, and this really, I think, demonstrates the, the delusional, the, 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 the re almost religious belief that some technologists have in, in, in code and in this case, the blockchain and code and encryption. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is 
So, I mean, I've been sort of waging this, I, mean, I should back up. Um, the, you know, when I was hearing sort of talk for a while now about Bitcoin and about the blockchain, but finally earlier this year, I decided that I had to sit down and figure out exactly what people were talking about. In part because people do tend to make these really overzealous promises about sort of revolution and disruption and the potential for these new technologies. And to me, the things that people were mostly talking about in education for blockchain uses, I didn't understand. So I didn't quite understand the technology, but I definitely didn't understand how adding this technology was going to fix what they saw as the problem, right? So some people argue, for example, that what we need to do is we need to issue um, credentials for any kind of learning achievement, not just a college degree, but learning achievements will be credentialed, badged. I think the badge people are really, Mozilla badge people are interested in this. They'll be issued on the blockchain and that makes them verifiable, that makes them immutable, that makes them irrefutable, that makes them trustworthy, um, that somehow putting things on the blockchain addresses this issue of whether or not learning counts by putting, or when I, yeah, by whether or not learning counts. By putting some sort of transaction on the blockchain, it's really going to count. And now, a bit like this case, like I think that what counts in education is a lot more complicated than that. And I'm not sure, despite the insistence by some people that I heard someone say you could put the social or social capital can be put on the blockchain. I'm like, do you even fucking know what social capital means, right? It's not actually, it doesn't work that way. Like you might have a driver's license, but like the a driver's license, the data on driver's license is not social capital, right? You might have a degree but a degree doesn't even necessarily translate into social capital, right? A degree from Jerry Falwell's Liberty University offers you very different social capital than a degree from University of Texas, Austin, which offers very different social capital than a degree from Stanford. But even though the social capital isn't stagnant, there are certain people that would vastly prefer to interact with people with a degree from Liberty University than somebody who went to UC Santa Cruz. So this notion- and the blockchain's not gonna influence The blockchain, and so this is a bit like this example of this, you know, whatever you call it, a theft, a hack, that the code said one thing, and someone ran with the code is this sort of literally the code permitted this. But our world has all sorts of other contextual, legal, cultural, institutional, extra-institutional, formal, informal negotiations that we make. I mean, that's why we go to court. Like, we go to court because even though the law is a codification, a codification of rules, right? The law is, is a code of certain ways. You still have to adjudicate how you're going to interpret it, 
right? These things are open for interpretation. And this notion that just because something is in the code, that that makes it immutable, undeniable, trustworthy, unchangeable, forever, is, is daft. It's absolutely daft. And it's, you know, I, I don't say this to defend any institutions that we have currently today. I mean, I think that if there's anything that this moment in history is facing, it's a crisis of institutions, right? Universities are in crisis as institutions. The government is in crisis as institutions. The courts, right, are in crisis. Churches are in crisis. The, like, we're seeing institutional crisis everywhere, but this notion that you can have these decentralized autonomous organizations written on some code that a 20-something year old devised and that's somehow the fix that the fix is a technological fix to something that is a societal cultural political historical complexity is just wacky to me it's just absolutely wacky and i find i find this whole this full whole issue about adding you know you add this adjective smart to things and somehow it's smart to sort of these technolog smart as a technological word in front of things. And somehow you have raised the bar. You've got a smart vacuum cleaner. What the fuck does that mean? A smart contract, smart phone, smart car? I mean, no. If it's no. labeled smart, it should be a fucking warning sign. Stay the fuck away from this. I mean, book. these things, you know, these things are negotiated for a reason things have context for a reason and well, I find you know I find this notion that you can sort of write code and then move yourself outside of culture move yourself outside of history move yourself outside of politics move yourself outside of the law outside of the law I I mean you can do that if you're writing science fiction right you can make up worlds in which the law doesn't matter but you cannot change the laws of physics, to quote Scotty, and you cannot actually change the governing, like not not through code, not in this way, in this moment, in a in a in a line of sort of JavaScript enabled something or other. You cannot, you it just doesn't work that way. So the fact that this exploit ran forward and people lost eighty million dollars. That's what makes young white males such a perfect vehicle for this is because they're so naive they believe that this i mean this will work and they're literally i think driving the getaway car for endless amounts of heists that are coming down the pipes um this one article blockchain company smart contracts were dumb they make the uh, uh the connection with uh you know th what ethereum's doing and blockchain's doing to derivatives you know, and and the only reason why derivatives work is there's a certain amount of trust there, um, regulatory and and financial that this is you're going to get your money out. It's going to be worth something. But that boundary's been pushed, and there's definitely um, snake oil salesmen and people doing things that are going to you know basically amount to robbery in in those markets. We've seen that time and time again. I just think the blockchain is 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 the new realm for this for this type of exploitation and and robbery, and just the young young white men and that really believe that. 
um, individualism rules and this you know this really speaks to that libertarian perspective that um, they're going to be the, the getaway car drivers and all of this I think well I mean yeah the irony of course is that the people who are you know the true believers believe that this is actually proof that you know that this is that this is viable they'll excuse it with saying this is just a learning opportunity but I mean, to me, you know, and this is this is why the blockchain. As much as I sort of abhor talking about it, because I feel like it's such a miss, it's such a m grotesque misfire um, when talking about education. Um, I mean, with all of the ideological underpinnings of of these sort of blockchain folks, this sort of anti-institutional um, bent of things. I think the way you fix civic issues is through civic engagement. If things are broke, if institutions are broken, you just don't, you can't fix them through JavaScript. You're not going to write a line of code that addresses police corruption. Like that's not how the world works. You have to engage politically in systems and then if you you know and then changing changing those systems to become more just justice is not justice is not going to come about through the command line and what's sad is i'm sh i'm sure there's there's a handful of good uses of blockchain mortgage company titles i don't know Why? you know i mean i, I, I know but maybe <laughs> i know maybe i'm just saying maybe there's a handful that it would work but but in in classic silicon valley overreaching with tech they're gonna fuck it all up by putting it into places it shouldn't be doing things where they shouldn't shouldn't this be isn't going anywhere and and it's just you know, but all the big boys are playing in it. I mean, they're the, the Goldmans and the IBMs and the you know. Everyone. Yeah, they're playing. I mean, but that doesn't mean that no, doesn't mean it's no, disruptive. I, I mean, I the agree. reason that the that the Goldman Sachs and IBMs play in things is not not be too. You know, they they might be. They're interested in their interests are not fully aligned with, you know disrupting the mon like the global economic system yeah no they want to they want to be part of those heists that occur that be able to you know export and take take it's one example of taking libya's money and this that's not the blockchain thing but you know it's like goldman you know they're fucking they're looking to get get as much money hands on as much money as they possibly can all this make whether it's make-believe or whether it's real money i mean how much of the money in the world is actually real versus make-believe. Well, that's a conversation that probably people who are interested in cryptocurrency should have, since they seem to have absolutely zero working understanding of how global economic systems work. Well, I look forward to... I'm glad you did the research before I ever got to the blockchain, because it saved me probably six months of, of looking at it from the code and the API side. So... I look forward to watching this shit show continue to play out. And if if you're a fool enough to give your money to one of these companies, then I, I feel bad for you. I, you know, but I'm gonna watch it from the outside. I'm sorry, it's impacting education. It's not impacting education. <laughs> it's not. It's the fantasy. It's such a fantasy. Crazy. Do we have any more stuff to talk about, or is that already ending it on a blockchain now? Yeah, I don't see any other. Do you have any others? Uh, no? All right. Well...